Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So we are back here with another episode of This Week in Basketball covering the week of uh, December 1st to December 7th. I'm recording this around 8.11 p.m. I was actually just watching the Raptors-Sixers game, which has gotten out of hand. Uh, The Raptors losing three in a row now, uh, assuming that they lose this game to the Sixers. And I just figured might as well record. That game kind of got out of hand, so 8.11 p.m. We're recording here. We're going to do more of a traditional format. We got a little news, a couple injury news, and uh, a firing that we're going to talk about. And then we've got three games of the week here. We'll, we'll talk about some under-the-radar standout players. I know that's kind of a, a contradiction of each other, but I'm sure you'll understand what I'm talking about once I get there. And then eventually uh, we'll finish off with what I learned this week. So starting off with the news, something that I haven't covered for whatever reason, I guess I haven't got around to it, but Kyrie Irving has been out for some time here with this shoulder impingement here. Um, and he, you know, at first I thought it was just a, a short-term injury, but he's been out for a number of games now. I think we're going on seven, eight, nine games now for Kyrie. So, um, interesting stuff. I thought he'd be back by now. Clearly is not. And in his absence, the guy that's been shouldering the load is Spencer Dinwiddie. And, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is keeping, uh, the Nets, uh, in this Eastern Conference playoff race, oddly enough. Uh, he's doing it as a scorer, as a facilitator, uh, and all that good stuff. And right now, the Nets sit seventh uh, at 13 and 10, and they've had some very solid wins over the past uh, over the past week or so. They beat the Nuggets today, uh, got a win against you know the Hornets, uh, the Hawks, uh, just barely lost to the Heat, but again uh, beat the Celtics, uh, beat. And uh, beat the Cavs, so they have taken and and the Knicks, so they have taken care of some of the easier wins, uh, which is fair. Uh, but they did get that win today against the Nuggets, and you know that's that's the mark of a good team is beating the bad teams. And even despite the loss of Karis LeVert, despite the loss of Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie has taken on the load uh, to be able. Uh, to go ahead and uh, take care of business where it needs to be done. So credit to him. Uh, but obviously this team uh, is going to need Kyrie Irving in the future. And so the sooner they can get him back, the better. Moving on to Washington, uh, Thomas Bryant has actually suffered a stress reaction in his foot, and he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. Uh, the Washington Wizards, you know, one of the weirder teams in the NBA this year, their offense is ranked top five, but are actually last in defensive efficiency. So they're really just relying on, you know, scoring 115, 17 points per game to try and win games. And clearly that uh, is not a sustainable recipe to get big time wins as uh, as their record shows, which is 12th in the East at the moment at 7-14. and uh, Thomas Bryant, big part of their offense, uh, uh, what was thought to be the second option to Bradley Beal coming into the season. Uh, now the presence of guys like Davis Bertans, Mo Wagner are going to become even more important than they already have, uh, as well as uh, some of the indirect um, scoring load that's going to be placed on guys like Isaiah Thomas, etc. Uh, I think Jan Mahimi is still the backup center there for the Wizards, if I'm not mistaken. So between him, Mo Wagner, and Davis Bertans, they probably will share the center minutes there, but uh, I mean the Washington Wizards, they... It's, it's, it was going to be tough to imagine that they were going to make the playoffs even in the uh, weaker Eastern Conference. So uh, although although a loss offensively for them, uh, not something that uh, they're going to miss on the defensive end. Thomas Bryant, not the most touted defensive player 
Uh, and, you know, just kind of another injury there for Washington. I, I don't see it uh, breaking too much either way. Although, to be fair, I did predict Thomas Bryant to be the most improved player before the year started, and obviously that has not panned out into fruition. Um, but nonetheless, Thomas Bryant reevaluated in three weeks, uh, stress reaction in his foot. So the last piece of news I got here is the Knicks fired David Fisdale. I believe that came down on Friday uh, afternoon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this was something that was pending uh, for quite a while. There was a lot of murmurs around the league that the Knicks were going to let him go, and they have done so. Now, do I think that this was a justified firing? Uh, no, in my opinion, I don't think this was justified. Um, do I think that David Fisdale got the most out of this roster? No, I do not. But that being said, I always like to use the saying, even the best of chefs can't make a good meal if you buy them crappy groceries. And that's basically what the Knicks have right now. I mean, it's just not a roster that's conducive to winning basketball games. You, you took a bunch of power forwards in the offseason, did not put the shooting around uh, RJ Barrett and some of your other guys to make them successful, and they're paying the price for it right now. They have four wins. Uh, I think two of them were against uh, the Mavericks. And uh, right now they're just, you know, not playing good basketball. They're definitely underachieving. They're losing games by a ton of points. I mean, they lost to the Raptors by, uh, you know, 126-98 loss, 132-88 to the Bucks, 129-92 to the Nuggets. They're just losing games by a ton of points here. Uh, and oh, the, the game against the Cavaliers was another one of their wins. But in general, the Knicks not playing good basketball. Uh, I don't believe that this was the fault of David Fisdale. He had really had, didn't have much to work with, although he didn't really make good use of what he had. But that's really not saying that much considering, you know, the roster that this front office put together in the offseason. And so I will, I mean, good for David Fisdale. I mean, he's got, he was, a four, he was on a four-year deal and he's getting paid four years for one and a half years of work. I mean, you can't ask for better than that, in my opinion. Um, and Unfortunately, this this Knicks job, uh, if they're looking to get a good coach, is not an attractive one at the moment. Uh, you've seen that this front office, uh, whether it's uh, Steve Mills and uh, Scott Perry or uh, James Dolan, have uh, really not put a conducive culture and system uh, in place that would be attractive to, for a big-time head coach to come in there. Uh, you've seen the coaching carousel that goes around. I mean, if you're a coach that's interested in getting paid uh, a lot of money for not doing a lot of work because you'll likely be fired halfway through your tenure, then it becomes an attractive job. But if you're actually looking for a job that's going to be conducive to building your resume and uh, turning around uh, a franchise that has been uh, in disarray for a number of years, this is not an attractive job, unfortunately. So uh, the Knicks have got themselves in a bit of a, a, a bit of a tangle here where they haven't put a culture together to go and get a new coach, and yet they're looking to turn this franchise around, but haven't necessarily portrayed the best of image within the franchise to attract the type of uh, talented head coach that they're looking for. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I believe there's, a, there's an interim head coach whose name is skipping my mind right now that is taking over in the interim. Um, but, uh, I mean, Knicks at this point, I think, what are 4-19 and 19, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, four, four, yeah, 4-19. Four and 19. So they're obviously not going anywhere. They're headed for a number one pick and likely 
someone along the lines of a Cole Anthony, a James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, uh, some somebody within that area that uh, I haven't done enough research on because it's not draft time yet. So, uh, but that's what that's where the Knicks will be focusing uh, on in the future as uh, April comes uh, a very long time away for a team that seems to be uh, losing game after game. So unfortunate for them, and uh, we'll see how they um, we'll see how they handle the situation going forward. Okay, so I got some I got five players here. And I've, got, I've labeled them under-the-radar standout players. And so what do I mean by this? There's been some standout players. There's been a lot of standout players this year. You know, guys that we've known uh, that are very good, uh, that maybe got a lot better. But I'm that's not who I'm focusing. I'm not focusing on the guys like your, your Luka Doncic, uh, your Jalen Brown, you know, your Jason Tatum. Guys that were already high on the radar that we kind of knew about. These are more guys that were just kind of on that second tier, that little un, under the radar where you you might you might know about them, but it's kind of surprising that they're doing as well as they are. And so let's go through these five that I got for you right now. The first of those five is Charlotte point guard Devontae Graham. Now, Devontae Graham, an older guy this year, he was picked in the 2018 draft, the second round. He's 24 years old, went to University of Kansas. I was actually teammates with Andrew Wiggins, if I'm not mistaken. And Devontae Graham has really led this Charlotte Hornets offense to being much more respectable than I expected. Um, He's putting up some real statistics here and has been moved into the starting lineup and is really putting up the production that Charlotte hoped Terry Rozier would have gave them after they gave him that contract, but it's really coming from Devontae Graham here. So let's run through some of his stats. 25 games this year, he's averaging 33.6 minutes per game, 18.8 points per game. He's doing that on 15.2 field goal attempts per game, but only shooting 40% from the field, so not necessarily that efficient. Now, this is, the st- this is the stat that's really jumping out at me. He's taken 8.7 three-pointers per game and shooting them at a 41.5% clip. Very good shooter is Devontae Graham. He's had some big-time games of 8, 9, 10 three-pointers uh, on efficient shooting from downtown. So that's really where he's making his money right now. Uh, 3.7 field goal attempts per game, shooting those at 80% clip. Uh, 3.8 rebounds, you know, 7.8 assists, turning it over, uh, you know, a decent amount, 3.1 turnovers there as well. Um, he's also uh, averaging, he's, uh, he's sorry, not averaging, but he's got a 56% true shooting on 24.9% usage. So he is shooting the ball quite a bit uh, above average usage rate, which is the thing is about 20% is the average usage rate and above, about average true shooting, which is about 56%. So again, for a Charlotte team that doesn't necessarily have a lot of weapons and a guy that nece- wasn't necessarily touted as a, a, you know, a go-to guy that's averaging or close to averaging 20 a game, uh, Devontae Graham has really been putting up numbers and really been driving a Charlotte Hornets offense that was projected to be, you know, in the low 20s is now, or maybe possibly last in the NBA, is now, you know, around 20th, 19th, 
specifically actually 21st as I look it up here uh, at 106.3. Now defensively, they're still atrocious, but uh, that's uh, that's not necessarily Graham's fault per se. So uh, good stuff from Devontae Graham here, showing he can be a creator for himself. Uh, clearly a, a very good three-point shooter, as you see in the stats. And, you know, at 7.8 assists, um, the assist, 36% assist percentage is, uh, is very solid here for Devontae Graham. So a standout, under-the-radar guy, in my opinion, Devontae Graham putting up very good numbers here for a surprising Charlotte Hornets team. All right, the second guy I got here, uh, and it's more of a breakout season. Maybe this borders on, uh, you know, under the radar guy, but it's Jonathan Isaac. Jonathan Isaac has been absolutely fantastic for this Magic team, uh, specifically on the defensive end. He's really taken a step in the right direction defensively. Uh, I believe he's top five in defensive PIPM at the moment, and he's really been driving uh, this Magic defense, which currently sits at 10th uh, in defensive rating. So Jonathan Isaac, he's playing about 31 minutes per game in 20 games this season, uh, 12.5 points per game. He's shooting 10 field goal attempts to get those 12.5 points, uh, shooting them at a 45% clip, 33% uh, from downtown on 3.6 attempts per game. Uh, doesn't get to the free throw line a lot, 2.1 free throw attempts, but shooting those at a 78% clip. He's uh, grabbing 7.2 total rebounds, 1.4 assists, uh, but this, the defensive numbers are fantastic. 1.4 steals per game and then 2.8 blocks per game uh, for the power forward. And I guess now playing center with the Vucevic injury, uh, Jonathan Isaac here. He's uh, He's got a defensive rate, a personal defensive rating of 103.6. I know that's not the best st statistic in the world, uh, individual players' defensive ratings. But in this case, it is a true number because of the way the Magic are playing. And it does match the eye test on defense as well. Uh, he's got a 54% true shooting on 18.3% usage. So Jonathan Isaac obviously still has a little bit of uh, ways to go offensively, but defensively, he's just been fantastic. I mean, uh, you've seen what he did to swallow up uh, Pascal Siakam in their game, even though Toronto got that win. Uh, Siakam was held very much in check due to Isaac's defense. And he's been a great rim protector. He's been a guy that gets in the passing lanes. He's great off the ball. He he digs and recovers. He does a lot of great stuff uh, that you want to see. And his defensive potential right now is is looking like it's coming to fruition. And if he can get that offensive game to come around, you know, maybe hitting a couple more spot up threes, learning to attack closeouts and things like that, we're going to have a very, very solid player uh, for the Magic on their hands and a guy that uh, soon we're gonna they're going to have to make a decision about in terms of giving him a rookie extension and uh, the way that they're the way that he's playing right now, I see no reason why they shouldn't give it to him in my opinion. So uh, Jonathan Isaac, uh, maybe borderline under the radar. A lot of people know about Jonathan Isaac. Obviously, he was the, uh, uh, the sixth pick back in 2017, but uh, a guy that some people may have forgotten about, and I think that he's making his mark again, uh, specifically on the defensive end. So Jonathan Isaac, under-the-radar player, but a standout player in my opinion so far. Third here, I've got OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, obviously a 20, uh, 2017 first-round pick. He was picked 23rd. Um, OG Ananobi is doing it on both ends, in my opinion. He's really upped his game defensively, taking on some of the uh, the harder defensive assignments on a night-to-night -night basis for the Raptors, and has really improved his offense, in my opinion. And as a Raptor fan, I really get to see that uh, come to light game in and game out. So, OG Ananobi threw 20 games for the Raptors, and uh, this is... Uh, 
before uh, the end of the Sixers game that I mentioned I was watching earlier, which, by the way, he was very good on offense in that game as well. So these numbers will be sure to go up. But 29.3 minutes per game, uh, averaging 10.9 points per game, doing that on 8.3 field goal attempts, shooting 52% from the field, very good number there. 3.8 three-point attempts per game, shooting those at a 42.7% clip. So really improved his three-point shot, 42% on 3.8 attempts per game. You'd like to see the attempts go up, given how well he's shooting it. Um, still doesn't get to the line that much. Uh, 1.3 field goal attempts per game, but shooting the free throws at only a 52% clip, which is a very odd uh, to see. His stroke actually does look very good to me, in my opinion. 5.4 rebounds per game, 1.8 assists, uh, 1.2 turnovers. He is getting 1.2 steals and about one block per game. Um, obviously part of a very successful defense as well. The Raptors being a top 10 in that uh, uh, metric. And he's got a 61% true shooting, uh, but not a lot of usage here. 14.6% usage. But uh, I think what really stands out about OG Ananobi this year is not only is the three-point shooting uh, going up significantly, but he's he's a lot more confident uh, driving to the rim. He can really catch that ball... um, and make a good decision uh, and really attack a closeout. Now he's using those, you know, two dribbles uh, from the three-point line much more efficiently, able to find uh, guys in the right situations and able to take it strong to the rim when it's necessary. He's still more of a catch-and-shoot guy, not necessarily an off-the-dribble uh, offense type of guy right now, but really being efficient with his uh, catch-and-shoot opportunities, whether it be attacking the closeout and going straight to the rim or being able to actually shoot that three, uh, as we saw, he's shooting it at a 42% clip. And then defensively, taking on some of the bigger challenges night in and night out. We'll talk about uh, some of the games of the week here um, that I uh, that I saw, but... He was guarding James Harden uh, against the Rockets. He was the guy that was asked to guard James Harden, uh, which is obviously one of the tougher tasks uh, in the entire league. And just on a night-to-night basis, it doesn't matter who your 2-3-4 is, uh, OG Ananobi is uh, usually going to be uh, asked to stick him. In fact, he was uh, he was guarding Ben Simmons tonight, which is uh, you know just goes to show uh, his versatility on that end. And he's playing much like Jonathan Isaac uh, on a you know all defensive team level at the moment, um, giving their uh, defenses uh, being the Magic tenth and the Raptors, I believe, seventh. Uh, these guys are playing at it all at uh, an all defensive team level right now, and. Uh, it's it's really really excellent to see Raptors currently uh, sixth in defensive rating. That might change as they're playing the Sixers tonight. Uh, these stats per NBA.com. But again, OG Ananobi really improved offensively as a decision maker uh, and defensively has really decided to take the challenges night in and night out and has uh, really shown it and been a big part of the uh, Raptors top ten defense this year. All right, fourth guy I got here again, borderline, uh, borderline under the radar because a lot of people know about this guy, but a standout player nonetheless is Bam Adebayo for the Miami Heat. Now, Bam obviously a 2017 first round pick, went 14th overall, and. You know, Bam, through 22 games for the Miami Heat, has really just been fantastic defensively and offensively, uh, as we will talk about uh, in a second here. But um, he has just been an absolute force at the power forward and center spots for uh, the for the Miami Heat, who currently are 
eighth in defensive rating per NBA.com statistics here. Uh, going through his stats real quick, 22 uh, games this season, averaging 32.7 minutes, 14.3 points per game. He's doing that on just nine field goal attempts per game, shooting that at a 57% clip uh, in terms of field goal percentage, 57%. Doesn't take any threes, you know, 0.3 points per game, shooting at a 16.7% clip. Doesn't shoot the three whatsoever, but... You know, uh, 5.6 free throw attempts, 65% from the line. like to see him shoot that a bit better. But, you know, 10.4 rebounds per game, 4 assists a game as well, 1.3 steals, 1.2 blocks. Uh, he's uh, He's got a 60... Just under 61% true shooting on 19.4% usage. And when it comes to Bam Adebayo, uh, he's another guy that took Siakam right out of the game uh, against uh, the Raptors recently here. And we'll talk about that game in a minute. But he's one of the, he's one of these guys that just is an absolute force on the glass. A force when you switch him out defensively. Uh, and one of those guys uh, uh, defensively that you can really use as a Swiss Army knife. Kind of all over the place. Uh, being able to just kind of execute in any scheme that you want and any uh, defensive coverage that you want. Um, you know, Bam listed here at 6'9", he plays like a 7-footer. Uh, he really, really does, and it's it's just fantastic to see what he's doing here. And then offensively, you know, 14 points per game, but really what's really surprising me is the four assists per game where Miami is really using him at the elbow spots out of horns where he's able to, uh, you know, make a good decision with the basketball and really facilitate for some of these shooters, you know, like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson um, who are getting open in, uh, and in part because of, you know, the ability for Bam to facilitate uh, a lot of their off-ball actions, whether it be like little flare screens and uh, stuff like that that they run out of the horn sets. So, you know, Bam Adebayo uh, really showing his versatility offensively and defensively and, you know, really climbing, you know, the charts as one of the, the better big men in the NBA here. And it shows uh, through, obviously, the defensive rating for the Miami Heat, which is, uh, which I mentioned, eighth offensively. They're 12th right now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, again, per NBA.com. So, Again, Bam Adebayo really showing his versatility offensive, uh, offensively and defensively. And so uh, it's good to see uh, as it, you know Miami Heat are kind of the surprise team in the East this year. And uh, a lot of it is because of uh, the doings of Bam Adebayo, one Bam Adebayo. All right, last guy I got here, Kelly Oubre Jr. of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, he was picked in the first round in 2015. He was the 15th overall pick. And, you know, Kelly Oubre has really come into his own here as a, you know, a, a wing scorer for the Phoenix Suns. Another surprise team currently, uh, I believe, 8th in the West, if I'm not mistaken here. Yes, 8th in the West at 10 and 12. Um, but, you know, obviously you've gotten contributions for some of your other guys. You know, your Rubios. Um, obviously, Aaron Baines has been huge for this team. Devin Booker has continued to be big. But I think that under-the-radar guy here is, is Kelly Oubre, in my opinion. Um, through 22 games, averaging 32 minutes per game, uh, 17.2 points per game. He's doing that on 13.7 field goal attempts per game, shooting 44.2% from the field, uh, 4.6 field, uh, sorry, three-point attempts, shooting that at a 32.7% uh, clip. Again, a lot of those attempts are off the dribble and stuff like that. He's really uh, you know, looking to improve his game as a scorer. Uh, 4.7 free throw attempts per game, shooting those at a 77% clip. He's grabbing six rebounds a game, 1.2 assists, per game 1.4 steals per game and 0.7 blocks per game as well 
He's uh, averaging 54% true shooting on 22% usage, um, a little under league average. But, uh, you know, even though he's not necessarily been the most efficient guy, I think that the thing that I like about Kelly Oubre is that no one else on this uh, on this Suns team has really stepped up as a go-to scorer on the wing outside of, you know, Devin Booker. I think, uh, you know, with Rubio being more of a facilitator, you know, uh, Booker being your go-to guy, I think just, I think. Kelly Oubre has really taken the uh, the challenge of being that that set that secondary kind of go to score that you can kind of throw it to and have him get you a bucket. You know, uh, Mikael Bridges really hasn't uh, emerged as that guy as of right now. It's really been more uh, Kelly Oubre. And I, I respect him for taking this jump. He works with what I believe is the best uh, NBA trainer in the in the entire league in Drew Hanlon. Um, he's clearly shown the um, the jump that he's been making into what is turning out to be an elite role player here. Uh, and it, a lot of it is because of his growth offensively off the dribble and being able to make plays as a scorer. So uh, Kelly Oubre really helping out the Suns offensively uh, where they were just kind of missing that uh, that secondary wing scorer that could go get them a bucket. So uh, kudos to Eli, uh, Kelly Oubre uh, and his growth here in what I believe is his uh, fourth season, fifth season, fourth, uh, fourth season uh, in the NBA. Sorry, fifth season in the NBA. My apologies. Oh, it's actually sixth. Oh, my apologies again. Six seasons in the NBA for Kelly Oubre. Okay, so what I got next here is the games of the week. We'll touch on these super quick. I don't want to dive too, too deep into these, but some of the ones that I saw. Um, first one I saw, Raptors versus Heat, December 3rd. The Miami Heat got the win in overtime, 121 to 110. Um, I think the thing that stood out from this game to me personally is the Miami Heat versatility uh, defensively. They really shut down Pascal Siakam with Bam Adebayo. Uh, they were really stifled the Toronto Raptors offense and controlled this game for most of it. The Raptors made a late push and then absolutely uh, could not survive a Jimmy Butler fury in overtime of like eight points in like 54 seconds or something like that. He was just absolutely fantastic in this game. And, uh, you know, between Bam Adebayo and, and Duncan Robinson, who is really killing them uh, from downtown off these little horn flare sets, um, horn, uh, you know, flare screens and stuff like that that they were getting him open for. He was really killing the Raptors. I think he had 22 points, hit five threes in that game. Um, so it, it was more to me about the Heat's versatility uh, on offense and their ability to shut down the Raptors defensively. Uh, they did a, just a fantastic job in that game um, to get the win. And again, the Heat, the surprise team in the East this year, and they're, they're really showing it by uh, you know beating teams like the Toronto Raptors. Um, the second game I got here is Raptors versus Rockets on December 5th. Uh, the Rockets went on to win that game 119-109. Um, what stood out to me in this game specifically is the Raptors' defensive strategy of doubling James Harden as soon as he crossed half court. Um, it worked a little bit, and it didn't work at the same time. So what I mean by that is the Raptors chose to have OG Ananobi and at times Norm Powell be the initial defender on Harden. And what they would do essentially is double off of, uh, you know, bring a secondary defender, usually it was Fred Van Vliet, to double off of, uh, it was started off of being doubling off of Russell Westbrook and then uh, started doubling off other guys like Daniel House, like Austin Rivers. And basically they said, okay, Har okay, we want you to make four on three decisions in the half court and let's see if you can beat up uh, uh, or beat our, you know, three zone triangle on the back end. 
And what ha what turned out to be the case was is it did work to start the game, but as the game wore on, uh, the Heat were able to turn that four on three into three on two by adding a cutter into the middle of the lane. And what also happened is it, it just proved to be too much uh, to for the Raptors to close out into what proved to be good corner shooters and guys like P.J. Tucker, Ben McLemore, uh, Daniel House, etc., Austin Rivers, etc. Those guys really proved to be able to beat the Toronto Raptors by shooting uh, the threes from the corners and really killed them on the glass as well when you when you send two to James Harden you've got a disadvantage uh, on the glass which the Raptors already struggled doing uh, as they're one of the the worst defensive rebounding teams uh, in the league and then when you have a, a single a whole player disadvantage on top of that uh, it proved to be too much for the Toronto Raptors uh, so that, that was basically the game, in my opinion, is the Raptors' defensive strategy, which started to work at first against the Rockets, but then they slowly started uh, to figure it out uh, as uh, guys were finding each other in the corners, getting second-chance opportunities, and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah, that was Raptors-Rockets. Both of those, Raptors Heat and Raptors-Rockets, were very good games. And then the last game I got here is the OKC Thunder versus the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, where the Thunder won in OT 139-127, to I believe was the score. And really what I want to focus on here is the end of the game um, where Chris Paul... You know, being the point guard, the high IQ player as he is, really proved how high how high of an IQ he had. So what happened was, uh, the Wolves had already had a technical, not a technical, but a delay of game warning early in the game for you know just a random reason. And then as the Wolves are going to the free throw line, I believe it's Towns at the line. Um, Jordan Bell checks into the game, I guess for rebounding purposes, and. What happens is is he doesn't have his jersey tucked in. So Chris Paul goes and to Scott Foster and uh, and basically points him out and says his jersey's untucked, his jersey's untucked, and Scott Foster called the tech the uh, the delay of game, which gave the uh, the OKC Thunder one free throw to uh, to cut the uh, the lead to one. From uh, from two, so this basically happened where uh, Jordan Bell checked in after I believe it was Towns made the original free throw, uh, and so I think it, I think at the moment at that at this moment the Wolves were up two before Chris Paul points out the the untucked jersey. They go and shoot the technical. Now the Wolves are only up one. Towns makes the second free throw. And then basically, Stephen Adams chucks a full court 94 foot baseball pass to Dennis Schroeder with 1.9 seconds left on the clock, who gets it off and scores to tie the game uh, at 123 apiece. And then ab after that, it was just a dominant performance from the OKC Thunder in overtime, led by Shea Gilgis Alexander. So, a fantastic game and really. Chris Paul really won them that game. I mean, not only did he have 30 points, seven assists uh, on uh, on good shooting percentages, but that play to really recognize that they already had one uh, one delay of game morning and to uh, and to see if you know shoot his shot and see if Scott Foster would call it. Uh, that's a high IQ play, and he, you know he made it happen, and it really won them the game because uh, they wouldn't have been able to, uh, you know muster three points uh, in the end of the game. They were able to muster two, but I don't think they would have been able to get that three with 1.9 seconds left having to go full court. So credit to CP3. He really uh, he really made a high IQ play on that one and got OKC the win. All right, what I learned this week, um, basically, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think what some people don't uh, like fail to recognize is that 
the importance of your number 9, 10, 11, and 12 guys in your regular season uh, and playoff rotation are very key. Now you say, Derek, why are the 9, 10, 11, and 12 guys key in your playoff rotation? What is What do they have to do? You only play 8 guys anyway. What, what does that have to do with this? So, yes, you're right. You only play 8 guys in your regular season rotation. But what... What happens when guys don't have it going on a specific night? What happens when injuries uh, occur, whether it's during the game or before the game? What happens when guys get suspended? What happens when the unforeseen happens? Who can you rely on down your bench to be able to go and fill, uh, you know, not only to be able to, you know, fill those minutes, but actually not be a liability on the court in those minutes. That is so crucial and underrated. When it, when the playoffs come, uh, we've ta- I've talked about this on past podcasts. Guys who have weaknesses get targeted big time. If you cannot defend, they're going at you every single time down the floor, and uh, or if you can't score, they're going to leave you wide open. And you know those types of things really get magnified in the playoffs. So let's take the Nuggets, for example, right? Here's their top eight. They got Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, Will Barton, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee, and Monte Morris, right? That's your top eight guys, okay? That's your top eight guys. All right, what if Jamal Murray sprains an ankle, right? What if, uh, you know, Gary Harris has a knee injury, okay? So now Monte Morris becomes your point guard, and uh, moves, and Will Barton will say moves up into the shooting guard spot. Well, now, now what do you got? Now you have Malik Beasley at your nine spot. Now you've got Wancho Hernan Gomez. Now you've got you know PJ Dozer. Now you've got uh, you know Michael Porter Jr. Like these are the guys that now you have to rely on in your nine, ten, eleven, eleven spots if you have these injuries or these suspensions. So I mean, I don't want to get too too deep into this. I think you guys get the point. But don't underestimate the idea of, or not just the idea, but the the practical theory of having to play your 9, 10, and 11 guys in the playoffs when the unforeseen happens and you don't necessarily, uh, you, you don't necessarily have a plan otherwise to be able uh, uh, to go and have a backup plan um, when guys go down. So that that is a key. Uh, that's a key element to this. So I just got the final score. You know, the Raptors only lost 104 to 110. So Philly 110 uh, beats the, the Raptors by 104. They were up 20 points in the first quarter, in the fourth quarter. So I'm going to have to see what happened there, guys. This game really was a lot closer than I expected. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that'll wrap it up here for this week in basketball here on the ISO Ball Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, as usual. Uh, please go ahead and like the Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Instagram. I got content on all three of those platforms going up consistently. I'm going to see if we can start getting back into the YouTube stuff, uh, whether it be posting some of these uh, audios on YouTube, maybe start filming the podcast as well, and getting some more breakdowns. They're just uh, It just takes a lot of time out of my day, you know, between going to the gym, going to work, uh, pickup that I got a couple days a week, stuff like that. It's really tough to make the time, but I am going to try to, to get that to happen. So, uh, yeah, if you could, uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, follow me or like the page on uh, Facebook, follow me on Twitter, uh, Follow me on Instagram, and uh, we'll have more content uh, being posted there. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Till then.